Hey, Tammy. What's up? How you doing? I am well. You ready for another one? Let's do it. I mean, yeah, more murder. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, <laughs> more murder. And I've decided after this I need to stop taking kid cases on because for some reason I I don't like to talk about them and I keep ending up with those on my on my page here. So um, this is going to be my last kid one for a little while because they're just too dark. But It's just, unfortunately, that there's a lot of it out there. Yeah. It's not hard to find these stories. Um, it's not hard to find really murder as a whole. I want to do a paranormal one. That's kinda, oh, there you go. That's kind of what I want to do in my next one. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just there's a, I know. a lot of these are, are centering around kids. Yeah. In this particular one, um, you know, when we talked about in the Steven Stainer case, we mentioned the three strikes rule when it came in um, with Kenneth Parnell. So I actually accidentally stumbled upon this case. I didn't even mean to pick this one up. I was just kind of combing through some stuff um, on Hulu to figure out what I wanted my next case to be on. Um, And the show FBI Files, the FBI Files, was on Hulu. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to try this out, see what I come up with. And the very first episode ever of that show was on a little girl named Polly Kloss, I think is how you pronounce it. They pronounced it class through the whole thing, but it's got two A's, so I think it's I think it's Kloss. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. Um, <coughs> and um, her case kind of influences a major wave in the three strikes rule, and it's what ultimately gets it to, so like solidifies it as a law. Um, so she's a young girl who was abducted from her home in the middle of a sleepover with some of her friends at her own house and her mom was asleep just across the hall from her bedroom um and her abductor i gotta stop saying um i realized i was saying that in a lot of mine i gotta i gotta work on the ums y'all I i'm do gonna this. try it really yeah so, i feel like i do that a lot too so sorry i'm working on it people. yeah we never know until we re-listen to these yes. but so her mom was asleep across the hall and her abductor who had just served 14 of the previous 20 years for crimes such as kidnapping, robbery, assault with a deadly weapon. Mm. Um, He was out again. I just did it again, y'all. I said, um, I'm sorry. So he was, (laughs) he was out again. He was, he was, um, he would prey on his last victim and become the reason that the three strikes rule even exists to this day. So you ready to dive in? Yeah, he sounds, he sounds like a winner. Not at all. Trash bag. Trash bag. (laughs) All right, let's go. Friday night in October, I want to say it was October 1st, in 1993, in Northern California. It was in a city called Petaluma, which I looked it up. It's just north of San Francisco. And on visitcalifornia.com, it's described as the gateway to wine country. That hell? <laughs> well, yeah, for this for this girl, it was. Yeah. Um, so her friends, Kate and Jillian, were having a sleepover at Polly's house. And it was just before Halloween, so, you know, they say they're they're just kind of dressing up, figuring out what they want to be for Halloween, goofing around, and just kind of hanging out, eating ice cream, you know, doing all the little things that teeny boppers do. And they were playing in her room, and I'm sure they were getting loud and giggly. And at about 9.45, her mom popped her head in and asked them to keep it down because she had a migraine. And she was decided she had decided to just go to bed a little bit early, which, I mean, 9.45 is really not Shut super up. early. Shut up! Yeah, but um, so they she asked them to just kind of keep it down and not stay up too late and then she turned in and went back across the hall to her room and just figured their girls would kind of stay up and play and do all the things I mean you never think that that's going to put them in danger Um, so her room just being across the hall from Polly's she expected the noise to tick up again and her sister Polly's sister Annie who was a couple years younger than her than her was um, was going to go to sleep with her. So because she was afraid that the girls were going to get noisy again, she took some kind of like a sleeping medication. They didn't really specify what it was, but kind of helped her pass out pretty quickly and drown out the noise from the girls across the hall. And I can't say that I blame her. I probably would have done the same thing if I had some noisy kids across the hall because I wouldn't expect anything to happen, right? I'm not I'm not mumbling. I'm, I, I don't think I would have just because yeah. I am always worried. Like when our kids were little – 
I was always the sober one. Always. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. One of us had to be. Not that, my, not that my husband was drinking all the time, but when he would oh, yeah. drink, when he would drink, I'm like, uh, what happens if, if somebody falls and hurts himself? So I guess, I, I, I don't know if I... I do take a Benadryl at night because my allergies are Yeah, but I think even if it's something simple like Benadryl I need to be able to wake back up. I don't know. So I guess that no no blame. No one, obviously nobody thought that this would happen or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, and even even if you don't take. So like the other day, um, my husband, I went to sleep early because I was really tired. And my husband stayed up watching TV. And I guess shortly after I went to sleep, he sends me a text message and says, do I need to go up there and, and get him? And he's talking about one of our kiddos was crying but I was asleep and I didn't hear it and somehow I slept through the whole thing I slept at the monitor right next to my head and apparently our kid was like screaming for 15 or 20 minutes like very loudly crying and I don't usually sleep through that stuff and I hadn't taken anything Mm. so I mean it's even possible without heavy sleepers and I'm usually not so he when he told me the next day like oh he kept me up for an hour he was screaming I was like what but Sorry how did I not you. wake up for that? Well, and so many times that I wake up and he doesn't, and I no want to throw a pillow at him. But, you know, I mean, I think I thought about that in this story, like, just the other day. I totally didn't wake yeah. up. And that's kind of scary to me because I'm usually the one that's, like, very alert. And, you know, even a little bit of sound, I'll wake up to it. But I must have been that tired. Gosh. And that was without taking anything. So, and um, her parents were divorced. So it was just the mom and the daughter in that room. But again, you kind of get into this false sense of security. Well, yeah, you don't think they're going to come it. into the house. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I've seen some. Especially some, during a sleepover because there's other kids there. Yeah. You, you think that somebody would make noise enough yeah. to, like, if there was any danger. Um, and of course, you know, she locked the doors and stuff. So who thinks? Who thinks there's going to be any harm? So what I found interesting too was that Annie, her sister, actually wasn't at all mentioned and she had another sister named Jess none of they were never mentioned in any of the coverage on the FBI files but we do learn a little bit about them later just because I kind of dug a little bit deeper but it was noted by Crime Junkie during their precedent episode on Polly Kloss 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 whatever her last name is that Annie was sleeping next to her mom so that's how we find that out but Less than an hour after her mom goes to sleep. So, remember, she pops in about 9.45 at 10.30, 45 minutes later. Polly opens her her bedroom door and finds a strange man standing there with a large knife in his hand. At first... Oh, I think I know this story. Do you? Vaguely. I, I think you're going to give me a lot more detail yeah. on this. Um, okay, yeah, go. No, you're good, you're good. I actually, I remember as soon as I turned it on, I said I know this story, but I had to, like, remember where... Like, what path it went down. Yeah. Because I remembered hearing about it, too. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an avid crime junkie listener, so I remembered hearing about it, at least on there. And uh, and actually, pretty recently, I think they just put out their episode precedent about a year before this. So, um, still, still fairly recent. But, uh, so I guess at first... Kate and Jillian, the two friends, thought it was just like a practical joke because, I mean, they're kids and they're probably thinking like, this couldn't be real. I would shit my pants. I, yeah. I don't care practical. So, sidebar, my parents, those chain smokers that I love, um, and sent me, she, my mom sent me a friend request, uh, you know, 30, almost, I'll be 37 or 38 this year, I don't know. You're going to be 38, um, on Facebook. So I just turned yeah, 39. Yeah, 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 oh yeah, 38. Uh, 38 <laughs> years of life, I finally got my mom friended on Facebook. Um, <laughs> and she's been on Facebook for... A long time. Uh, so anyway, she used to, the one thing that they used to do that I love, she would tell, my mom is an excellent storyteller, so she would oh, tell us cool. these crazy, scary stories, and my dad would listen, and he would act, like one time, real fast, he did a, she did where the, the insane asylum guy escaped with a hook, yeah, with the, with the hunchback. And then my dad went around back oh with, the, with the jacket on the hunt and did the hunchback and, you know, banging on the out. window. Let me tell you, we pooped our pants every single time. So this, <laughs> and we and half the time we probably knew, like, isn't that yeah, your that dad? Is your isn't dad. that your dad? <laughs> um, but we had, a, I had a heavy set friend over one time, and we tried. My mom's like, we gotta escape through the through the bathroom window. Oh god! And um, she's like, I'm not gonna make it. I'm not gonna fit through the window. Like she was all crying and stuff. But um, yeah, this would not. This this would. Uh, I would literally fall on the floor and die. Well, and she has no older brothers, 
the dad doesn't live in the house. Yeah, what guy? What but guy? I mean, you know, they're kids. They have zero logic. Yeah, so I'm sure that true. it was like fight or flight. I have to think, I have to assume this isn't a bad situation because everybody believes this stuff doesn't happen to them, right? It can happen to them because this is crazy out of the norm the way that this goes down. I'd go so, possum mode. Possum, yeah. Yeah, just lay on the floor. Well, he, you know, he's got this giant knife in his hand and he threatens to slit their throats if they scream. So I think now they realize it's not a practical joke. And he ties them all up and he starts asking questions about like who lived there and who else was home. And I guess he was kind of surprised to find out that the mom was home and across the hall, but he just keeps going about his business. And he said all he wants was money and he wasn't going to hurt anybody. So Polly told him where some of the money was hidden in her room and I think around the house. But it seems like he didn't even try to find it according to Kate and Jillian. He just kept like tying them up and then he gagged them and covered their heads with pillowcases that he got off of Polly's bed. Good lord. Yeah. So he made Polly get up after he gets these two friends. I think Polly was restrained but not not to the extent of the other two friends at this point. And he told the girls to count to a thousand and by the time that they were done she'd be back and um but of course, you know, she didn't return. He just takes her. Thankfully, they were smart enough to realize that that was a flat out lie and that wasn't a thing. And so they didn't even bother counting. And as soon as he walked out of the room, they began working on the restraints to free themselves. And then they immediately ran across the hall to wake up Polly's mother. Well, thank God he sucked at tying knots. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I, um,. I can't imagine Polly's mom and the guilt I know. to know that that happened right next door. So Yeah. Ugh. I know. That part is terrifying for sure. So, of course, her mom just jumps up as quickly as she can. She, like, frantically searches the house and realizes that Polly's not there. I'm sure, like, if she had taken anything, like, even I've taken the slightest little bit of sleeping medication, um, just like the over-the-counter Z-Quil, something like that. It just makes you groggy and a little bit like just waking out of up. sorts. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, you don't have your faculties about you. Right. So once she realized Polly wasn't there, of course she immediately called the police, and they were there within minutes. Um, so the timeline in this is like really tight. Petaluma, hmm, Petaluma police detective Mike Messi was on the case, and there wasn't much evidence, but they collected what they could. So like the findings, the pillowcases, the rug, I guess, on her floor. Um, he says in this FBI files that um, there wasn't really any reason to collect it at that point. It's just like they looked at the little bit of evidence they had and thought, he's like, I, I figure we just need more, so just take the rug. It ends up being a key, crucial part of oh, the damn. case, which is good, but literally that was it. He just looked at the small amount of evidence that they had with the bindings and the pillowcases and was like, we need more, take the rug. So out of desperation, the Kloss family... Uh, contacted the FBI and they they stepped in immediately into the investigation to offer their FBI. That's all we got to do. Yeah, I don't know. How come I mean, the that's why I doesn't step in on every case. Well, so it was a kidnapping of a child, and this is back in '93. And at that point, they were handling about 800 missing, and I I can't remember if it was just missing kids or missing in general cases every year. So they just had an expertise that the local police didn't have. And I mean, if you think about it back then, and this is terrible to say, but young white girl yeah oh yeah okay you know and then that's kind of how it went and it became a national manhunt for this missing girl i mean she gets abducted right out of her home which is like unfathomable yeah totally elizabeth smart oh my gosh i know that one is insane too um there was a special on her too where they did it was a girl it wasn't actually her so they they made a movie about Mm -hmm. elizabeth smart's Mm -hmm. experience and there was a girl who played her but that uh, it was so hard to hear that story, to just know how, how what she went through and how brave she was and how smart she was to get herself out of the situation eventually. And um, I've been watching a lot of Netflix stuff, but there are a lot of crimes involving women. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think Elizabeth Smart, the woman, I think, um, and then it was um, someone else, it'll, the name will come to me. Um, the woman was involved in her kidnapping as well, the wife was. And you have a natural... A lot of them trust with women you don't think well he's got a wife with him that he's but yeah women y'all be helping these men oh well that's where trafficking comes into play too there's usually like a a main girl or whatever who's like no longer trafficked and whatever but she's still part of the recruitment process playboy look at how many like how the how playboy how playboy got um away with 
everything because these women would coax and help drug and mm-hmm. anyway sorry I digress no, 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 so they call the FBI the FBI gets yeah. their blood in there <clears throat> yep they did and um so okay so if we remember Polly was at 9 45 her mom pops her head in mm-hmm. by 10 30 she's kidnapped by midnight the FBI is there now the police had already been there you know collecting evidence so we're talking a very short amount of time Damn. here um, so it's almost like he was watching the damn house. That is a very short window. Yeah. Okay, I might be skipping it. I'm just no, no. Mike, I got so many questions. Like, how did he get in? And was he watching the house? And did he know that girls were in there? Like, so many questions. Okay. Yeah. So I will definitely cover all the questions. I'm sure. But so it was quickly clear to investigators that they were dealing with a stranger abduction. Uh, the girls had never. I mean, he left behind witnesses. Dum da dum 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 dumb criminals. But he this leaves behind these witnesses. So he didn't have a mask on. <laughs> yeah, right? And apparently he, I, I believe he was clean shaven at this point. Nice. Or at least didn't have, oh, he might have had more facial hair. I can't remember. At one point he had more or less and I, the girl still could recognize him from that. But he so. didn't try to cover his identity or anything nope. like that. Okay. Nope. Right. So even though the girls had pillowcases on their heads, they were sitting there watching him tie each other up. Right. right. You know? So the parents, like I mentioned, they were divorced. But... You know, just to make sure they had clear both of them. And they were quickly cleared mm-hmm. of any involvement. The two girls were able to give their best description to the man and the sketch artist. So at 4 a.m., the girls are still awake, which is crazy to me. They were taken to the PD, and they hadn't even slept, and they're trying to remember, like, all they can about this stranger, and they're upset, and they're tired. And I know if it were me, I'd be, like, not firing on all cylinders. But they were put with a sketch artist to try to do it. I mean, you ha- Kids Time is of the sleep. essence at this point. Totally ha- of mean, the essence. I can't yeah. imagine. Oh, go to sleep for twelve more. They were going no, to sleep yeah, yeah. regardless. Yeah. No, and I just didn't sleep for a long. Time. I just wonder how much help it was, though. You know nah. what I mean? Like there was nothing nah. they could do. Obviously, they were doing it the way that it would have been done. N- nothing would have been changed. But I just think about it. In my kids, they would have been like, "I'm so tired. I can't, can't even think clearly." Things like that. So uh, about four a.m. is they're still awake and trying to figure all this out, but. In a stranger child abduction, like you mentioned, time is of the essence. So in most cases, stranger abduction, um, no, I'm sorry. In most cases of stranger abduction, the child is likely to be harmed within the first 24 hours Mm -hmm. and killed or killed within the first 48. So the FBI goes by something called the one-third rule. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -mm. Okay. So they mentioned in this episode that the one-thirds rule is about missing kids. So one-third are found alive. One third are found dead, and one third are never recovered. Good lord! Yeah, very scary odds. And since we're talking about threes, everything is in threes, I guess. Three quarters of that one third are killed. That are killed are murdered within the first three hours. Three, Jeez. three, 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 three. So mocking the holy trinity. Yeah. So they're like, you know, they're trying to get it all, all done quickly, you know, because Gosh. at this point she's gone. Well, by 4 a.m., it's the, the three-hour window has closed. Yeah. It almost makes you wonder, you know, you had to have it planned you, you, to just randomly go into a house you don't know who's inside. Right. Shoot. This was, in my opinion, so far, I know nothing. I just, I don't even remember if she was found or anything. Um, this is premeditated. Like, he'd been planning. Parts of it, I guess. think, were, yeah. But I don't think he, I think there was also a little bit of crime of opportunity. So it's a little bit of a mix there. I mean, you know his history. He's been arrested and charged several times for abduction and robbery and things of that nature. So the FBI, while they're there, they dust for prints. I guess their technology was better than the local police department, so thankfully they were able to dust for prints while they were there. And they were, you know, everything that was found was matched to family members. But um, they, they dusted for hours, and eventually they found a palm print. So she had bunk beds, I think, and he must have, like, leaned his his hand like the bottom of his hand or I'm sorry the the palm of his hand kind of leaned up on the bottom of the top bunk bed and so he left a whole palm print behind on that piece of wood and they were able to get that and it was never matched to family so they were like this is our guy um but the problem is is that the stuff that they kept records of like fingerprints and stuff that wasn't advanced enough during that time that they didn't keep palm prints to match to people. So they didn't have any evidence. It's not like they go into a database and be like, is this somebody's palm print? You Only know? thumbprints. Only thumbprints yeah. are kept. That's kind of stupid. Okay. Well, I mean, now they do. I'm sure stuff like this is what was yeah. like, what changed that, but um, they didn't back then. So, you know, they just have to kind of hang on to this palm print until they find a suspect and figure that out. So 
police searched literally every house in the neighborhood. They went to every home. They asked if anyone saw anything suspicious. And actually, there were several people who reported seeing a stranger that matched the description given by um, given by Polly's two girlfriends. A couple of the boys, like neighborhood boys, were walking to the video store around that time, and they noticed a strange man like lurking in the shadows outside her house. And then on their way home, they realized he's still there. But they didn't recognize him. They just like realized, oh, he's kind of creepy. Why is he outside her house? And never said anything to anyone. And then this one, this one bugs me, and I'm sure it probably bugs this dude to this day, but the house behind Polly's house was a rental. And the guy that lived in it, he and his friend were busy playing video games. And I don't know if he, I think he got up to get a drink or something like that and noticed that there was somebody at her back door that was kind of like pulling at the door, like trying to see if it was open or something. And he kind of like looked out and thought, huh, that's weird. Went right back to his game. Well, and never in called fairness, in. if it were an online game, that is important. <laughs> I'm kidding. Y'all, speak up. I mean, yeah. we've got, um, I've got a neighbor that I, I love her, but she'll always be like, your garage door's open. And <laughs> I love it. And I don't yeah. know what I'd do without her because I'm like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And it's nine times out of ten my child that leaves the right. dang garage door open. When I used to walk later at night, I would do that too. For yeah. you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the dang garage door. I'm like, girl. Yeah. Close the garage door because she comes in and out. Um, but, yes, that is, I would prefer her do that. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah. Not say, if I see something weird, I'm like, it may be nothing, but mm-hmm. it may be something. Or like if something. I see your cars aren't there or something, I'll say something. Yeah. Or, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I'm that neighbor too. I think it's good that we got to look out for each other. So it's well, disappointing this, this guy didn't. Yeah, he's kicking himself in the butt oh, now. Oh, you got to imagine he is. So I don't know because it was never really said in this episode or any of the other things that I read or listened to. But I'm not sure if they ever dusted the back door or the windows, which logically to me they have to figure out how does this guy get into the house. Let's dust for prints. But I don't know if that ever happened, even though we find out later on he crawled in through a window, like an open window. Or maybe it was unlocked or something like that. So he, there should have been prints where he got into the house. Um, several people had sightings of this man, but as I mentioned, nobody alerted the police. So after this, there was a search party formed like almost immediately. They set up a, like a center for searching for polycloths and they passed out flyers and they were taking tips. Like there was this whole just like community outpouring of trying to help and find this girl. So at this point, the evidence is sent down to the evidence lab where they collect fibers. Um, they collected fibers at the scene that were suspected to belong to the vehicle carpet of the suspect. So it was his carpet fibers that they found in that room. Um, they did kind of like a, I don't know if it was like magnetic or what, but they basically did a sweep of the room where they picked up fibers. And so they found some of these carpet fibers in, in their sweep. And um, you remember that rug that they collected uh-huh. from her room? Yeah, well, they found a hair on it that was forcibly removed. So the reason they say forcibly, I guess, and the way that they can tell this is because there was actually skin attached to the root of the hair. So she must have at some point while she was struggling pulled it out, which gives DNA evidence. That is awesome, yeah. Um, And this guy, he had kind of longer hair, so it wasn't like a typical dude, you know, shorter dude's hair. It was longer hair, so it was a little bit easier to pull out probably and and more for the evidence people to go on. So, again, here they are. They have evidence of DNA, but they don't have a suspect to match it to, so right now it's useless. They can't find somebody based on this. They can just match it to the person mm-hmm. when they find them. Mm-hmm. So frustrating. So they did um, some other fancy magic FBI stuff, and they there was a fingerprint that was lifted, and they did something where they, like, changed the background to it or something. Anyway, they were able to eventually come up with a full fingerprint for this lead, and leads. Gosh, so many leads came in, and it was just, like, really hard for them to track, and then you think about it, back in the 90s, we had these giant monitors. The whole computer was built in, and they were these, like, really deep, long monitors, and nothing was really automated, so everything that came in had to be done manually, and then they had to triage it from there, so... Imagine it probably so slowed things down pretty, pretty uh, tremendously. So here we are. We're 48 hours after she's missing. There's that window, that scary window of, you know, what happens now. We've been 48 hours past, and her dad receives a call from someone who sounds like Polly. Oh. Now, the girl on the other end told him that they were in a hotel somewhere, and when he asked where, the line just went dead. So freaking scary, right? Why have her call? What was the purpose of the call? 
I unless she was calling without him knowing that that would be no ransom asked at this point yeah I don't know but not no no ransom at this point okay but um since his line wasn't set up which again I don't understand it's 48 hours past why wouldn't they set up his line for tracking but they didn't so yeah, after this they finally traced it and just had to sit around and wait again to Lord. for her to kind of call in so i mean Shit, they, I, on, you guys gotta this is your job i mean they had a whole community of volunteers that set up a whole search station that practically were doing a good portion of the work for them they could have set oh, up a tracer why? on the parents phones so i don't understand why that wasn't done but it wasn't done so they had to sit around and wait and eventually she calls back and you know, by now Is they've the got the tracer on it. Yeah. Okay, thank you. The, and she was on the phone long enough for them to trace it. So Dang. this trace brought them to a house about 30 miles away, and they acted so quickly. They they didn't okay. even take the time to assemble a team. They were just like, we're going. We're going to, you know, ambush this house. So the house was, when they get there, they're, like, surprised. It's a normal family living there, kids, <laughs> parents, whatever, you know. It's the whole, get down, get down, FBI, the whole thing, right? So they realized quickly that Polly's not there. Imagine SWAT like no, <laughs> again, again. Tammy would poop her pants yeah. if SWAT broke into Why my house. Why would you at my house? And uh, like, Polly's not there. Her abductor is not there. They realize quickly. But what if? What if there's like a? What if there's like a dungeon? Have you seen that? What's that one movie like? I would uh, think the same thing. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the dang movie. It'll come to. It was like phone the call or phone call or oh, something like that. It's got. You know, it's got the guy with the hair and the face in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Makes Where perfect sense. The like the the cops kept going to the house, but he had, and they they, they would clear it, and it, but it was actually like a hidden basement where he was keeping the kids. Oh, like man. what if that's? Yeah, I'd be like, we need to look for a hidden basement. <laughs> that's me too. Get the hidden doors. Where's the hidden doors? I mean, how but... else would that call have come? It's '93, oh, right? Just wait. There's no cell phones or anything. No, no, there's no cell phones. I mean, there are, but not like we have today. But they figure out who called. It was one of the young girls in the house. She Shut was... the mother from the button up. She thought that was funny. No, her friends dared her to do it. Oh, all your asses would be beat. Uh-huh. So not funny. Not funny at all. Yeah, but I mean, there's also. A little bit of confusion to me, too. How did you not recognize your daughter's voice? I guess, I don't know, maybe trauma or, yeah, I know. (laughs) Don't you know all women sound weird? Come on. But now he's had two phone calls and never once thought, this doesn't sound like my daughter. I don't know, maybe he just wanted it so badly to be her that he tricked his mind to thinking it was her. I don't know. So at this point, here we are, we're back at square one. And they're like, well, what else do we do? So they call Kate and Jillian back in. They fly in this, like, really high-end sketch artist. And they're like, we're going to try for a new sketch, see if that helps. Uh, this person was, like, really well-known for um, kind of coaxing more description and details out of people and helping them to relax enough to remember those details. Plus, the girls, at this point, they're well-rested. They've had a chance to really think about stuff. So they come up with a better composite sketch. They release that. And eventually, there was even a reward that was issued for her return. So they receive, after this reward, all of a sudden, they're getting more tips because, you know, that's what happens, right? Golly. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for giving a shit now, people. And Ugh. they get a call for a $10,000 ransom. <sighs> so like here they are. That we've been talking yeah. about. Yes, exactly. So now they're headed out to this house in Petaluma. Ready to whoop some ass. This time, though, they assemble a team, and they show up, like, guns blazing, they've got SWAT, and they're just, like, they're ready to play ball and figure out who this jack wagon is. Well, it turns out he's just a 20-year-old schmuck who was arrested for attempting extortion and posing as a kidnapper. What is wrong with people? He had all, just, like, honestly previously? think that the, No, no. This was... He was arrested for doing that uh, with okay. Polly This was his first offense. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. But because he's a dipshit, and he was posing and asking for a $10,000 ransom... Why? Do you honestly think that you're not going to get caught and they're just going to wire you ten grand? Get lives. Come the hell on. Get prior Seriously. planning, sir. Prior planning. Think yeah. this process out. Like, really think your plan out. Ugh. Dipshit. Call so. me. If y'all think that this that you have a good plan, call me. <laughs> you're wrong. I'll, be, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Ugh. I'll be on the other line with the FBI. But I'll let you know. I'll walk you through it. <laughs> so... Dead end after dead end, right? You know, the tips come in, but nothing is really materializing here. And over and over again, the family just has to continue to be crushed. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, too. People just constantly derailing investigations. Yeah. For, I mean, come on. You played a prank. You thought, oh, I might try to extort the FBI. Like, 
You're taking valuable resources yes. away. They could be following legit right. yeah, leads. That's awful. And their attention is then diverted. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So, <coughs> at this point, her family, her parents, issued like a plea in the newspaper because that's kind of what you did back then. The internet wasn't super huge. In fact, they mentioned that this was one of the things that started blowing up on the internet because the internet was still so very new at that point that there wasn't a whole lot of stuff that was just like news going on the internet. It wasn't really a hub for that. But this is one of the things that started kind of going viral almost. The AOL dial-up. Yeah. Do you remember that? <laughs> You've got mail. <laughs> Do you like my impression? Yeah, yeah right. that was that was on point. Legit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're gonna, you know, skip forward a little bit like we do sometimes. And two months after her abduction, the authorities get their first real lead in Sonoma County. And two they're months. called to the house of Dana Jaffe. Dana's a woman, and she has been out walking her property and finds some items that are suspicious. Mm. Strips of fabric. Packing tape, a red pair of young girls' tights that were tied into a knot. And actually, there was a human hair that was entangled in this knot. Um, Also, according to the Crime Junkie podcast that I listened to, they they found a rolled condom and a torn condom wrapper at the scene. Yeah. But there was no indication whether or not it was actually used at that point. So, although they left out these details in the FBI files, the condom was tested for DNA, but nothing was present. So... I'm sorry, what? Yeah. You know, coming upon this stuff, Dana remembers that about two months prior, on October 1st, actually, the day that Polly was abducted, she had a trespasser that was on her property. Now, she lived, uh, I believe, on a lot of land, and the driveway to her house was very long. And Dana's babysitter was actually leaving the house down this long driveway, driveway when she was stopped by a man who was walking down the private driveway, and his car was kind of parked off to the side. So he, he walks up to her, is trying to get help, and he sa- he insists that she gets out to help him. But she's smart. She says no. And he was asking questions about, like, what's up the driveway? And she just kind of, like, kind of felt the heebie-jeebies at this point. And she's like, this isn't right. And she drove off. So she drove as fast as she could about two miles down the road to call Dana, to call back to her friend. And she – so Dana, the, at this point, she gets her daughter and a bat – at a girl. Apparently she wasn't packing. But she took a bat and her daughter and they drove right back down that driveway. It's the only other way out the house. But if they're in danger, she's trying to get away. So at this point she notices that the car was abandoned and he wasn't there. So she drives past anyway and she calls the police. She drives into town and she calls the police. And the police show up and they when, he, when they get there, they find him. He's there. He's drunk, this guy, and he was, like, just, they noticed he was really sweaty, and he had, like, leaves and debris and stuff in his hair, like he had been rolling around. Um, but he tried to tell them that he accidentally ended up on this private driveway while he was sightseeing. So it's, like, I want to say, like, midnight, and he was out sightseeing. Can you watch birds at midnight? Yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> I, and, of course, you know, they don't really buy it. But He's checking for open garage doors. He's just your friendly neighborhood pedophile. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what's crazy? I don't know if I saw anything on any of these stories where he was on his previous convictions as to who he abducted. If it was, like, grown women or kids. I'm pretty sure it wasn't kids, but I'm not 100% sure on that. So. What a gag. Totally. Totally. We want to set our daughters up with him, right? No, thank you. Thank you, thank you. So, where am I at? Okay, so he had gotten his car stuck, and that's legitimately why he was there. His car was stuck. He couldn't get it out when he, quote-unquote, tried to turn around on his sightseeing journey. So apparently, like, while they're questioning him and stuff, he just kind of blurts out that he was lying under the car trying to get it free, and that's why there was stuff in his hair. Like, I don't even think they had even questioned him about it. He just kind of blurts it out. Um, But deputies just... He, they also looked around and they noted that there was not enough room for somebody to get under the car. Besides, you're trying to get your car out of it, you're going to get under it. That makes zero sense, right? Well, you would think, but we also do dumb criminals as well. So <laughs> yeah, I'll this is one of them. Shit. But, I mean, he must have been on the ground for something. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So, thankfully, at this point, they realize, like, they can smell alcohol in his breath. Yeah. And they, they issue a sobriety test, a field sobriety test, which he passes. However, 
I don't think they did a breathalyzer. If they did, I couldn't find it anywhere. And I think if they did, they probably would have ended up taking him in. There are high-functioning drunks yeah. out there. Like, oh, if you drink yeah. enough, like, you can be high-functioning. Yeah, I would assume that he was one of them because he, I don't think he would have passed a breathalyzer, but he could pass yeah. a sobriety, field sobriety test. That. So, fun fact here. Uh, breathalyzer? I had to look because I was like, maybe they just don't, maybe they didn't use them at that point, right? I mean, it was 93, but I just wasn't sure. So I was in like, what, third grade at that point? So I don't think I would have even known what a breathalyzer was at that point. Oh, you weren't using one in third grade? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, no, I had, I had mine hooked up. <laughs> in your pocket? Yeah, in my pocket. <laughs> Did you put it in your backpack? <laughs> <laughs> so the breathalyzer was actually initially developed in 1931, and its original name was the Drunkometer. Use 1931 to determine that it was some kind of chemical interacted with the alcohol in your breath and blah di da di da. I don't know, but I and it totally is irrelevant to this case. But I just thought it was funny they called it a drunk meter, and I wish they had used the drunk meter on this dude. I mean, it's what it is, right? Uh, so they looked inside the car, and there was a duffel bag in the back of the car with that had beer cans in it. And I guess while they were asking him if he had been drinking, he uh, reaches inside and cracks open a beer and starts drinking it right in front of them. But still not cause for arrest, right? I mean, you know this guy's going to get back in the car, and he's, like, drinking, drinking but a can of beer he, while he's answering questions. He is in a stressful situation, though. I mean, you got to extend some grace. Like, don't you don't you ever just go home and, like, I need a beer? Well, yeah, we're looking at, like, open container. Like, I nobody mean, thinks... This man was taking a peaceful drive looking peaceful. for exotic birds. Mm-hmm. And his car just... It, he's had a day. He's I know. Poor guy. Needed a beer. <laughs> Cracked one open. So even though they questioned him, like, thoroughly, according to them, they couldn't find anything incriminating. What the hell is thoroughly? I don't know. First of all, you're, you're about to clear this man. He's like, oh, you're, you're, you look good. Yeah, totally yeah, good. Thor- thoroughly. Get yeah. Can you smell the alcohol on your breath? See a bunch of empty beer cans? You're drinking in front of us, but we're going to let you get back in the car and help your car and push you out. That <laughs> yeah. perfect sense. On your way, sir. Bye-bye. Yes. Have a nice night. Enjoy the bird watching. Yes. Um, although, I mean, even though they questioned him, they didn't find anything incriminating there. They did at least run his driver's license, but back then, the only thing that you could access was their driving record, not their criminal history. And had they seen his criminal history, it probably would have raised some red flags and made them hold him there longer, but all they could access was the driving record. And unfortunately, their frequency was tuned to a different radio station because this was, I mean, 30 minutes away, right? One job. Somewhere around there, not even... Yeah, so even though it was broadcast about Polly's disappearance, it wasn't on the frequency that they were on, so they never even heard about it. Okay. That there was this, yeah, so they missed that entirely. And because they couldn't find anything incriminating, quote unquote, they helped him get his car out and send him on his way. Yeah, you know, could you finish your beer before you go? Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, come one for on. me. <laughs> Can I join you? It's been yeah, a long I know, day for right? me, too. I need one, too. <laughs> uh, so, you know, of course, they go back and realize, like, this was the same day that Polly Kloss was abducted. And luckily, the officer was smart enough to recognize the similarities. The, the officer that was there picking up the evidence um, recognized the similarities to Polly's case and her disappearance. And he called in the investigators and the FBI to come in and take a look, didn't touch any of it. And when they got there, it was actually, by the time they got there, it was dark and it was raining, but... Um, they just knew, like, right away. They looked at each other and realized, like, this is a critical turning point in this case, and this is evidence that we really needed to move forward. So they searched the mountains, because I mentioned she was on some land, so she didn't have any close-by neighbors, and they searched the mountains back there for days. They had 300, like, over 300 volunteers, 30 or 40 search dogs, helicopter, like, everything, trying to figure out All what All the shit they was. should have had? Yeah. I'm just... Sorry. Yeah, no, it's true. They I should have been doing that. I'm sure they, this? well, they did do ground search and stuff like that search party I told you about that the community came together and developed a search center. They were but that'd doing. that'd be the time. Yeah. That'd be the time. I don't know necessarily. They may have done search oh, dogs okay. and stuff. I have no, I honestly don't know, but. At this point, I'm not, whole, I'm not putting a whole lot of faith in these yeah. local law enforcement. I know. Well, the FBI is at least involved in this. So whatever it was, that's when they, they did this part of the search for sure. And they obtained a full report of the incident from Dana Jaffe's property. So now they finally have a name. This guy's name is Richard Allen Davis. And in viewing his criminal record, you could, which I mentioned before, um, he had recently been paroled after serving eight years for kidnapping. So, you know, I mean, he was 
he was a stand-up guy and he also had like assault to with intent to commit rape on his rap sheet so you know they were concerned obviously for lots of reasons and you know looking back in his criminal record they could tell he was starting to escalate you know he started off with a little bit of robbery and a little bit of kidnapping and then it was kidnapping and assault with a deadly weapon and um assault with intent to commit rape and you know he's just gradually increasing right so so they look at him he his mom lived in petaluma and of course they're thinking like you know at this point if it looks like a duck walks and talks like a duck it must be a bird must be the abductor (laughs) it is a yeah no it's true (laughs) quack quack so the physical evidence is then flown back to the forensic specialist, the one that did the initial investigation on the original evidence from Polly's room. Oh, wow. And he had already matched up the strips of the strips of fabric that were from Polly's room that were used to bind the girls. He already had that, like, lined up and noticed that they matched. They came from the same piece of, like, silky fabric. He could line them up perfectly with where the tears were. And he took the other binding that they found in the woods at Dana's house and matched it up as well. So whatever this piece of fabric was, it all came from the same thing. So no, they know they're dealing, this is their guy. This Mm -hmm. is evidence from the case, right? So they, I don't know if they said at this point, like there wasn't enough evidence to like convict him of it or they needed more evidence, but they needed to bring him in like, and quickly. So their only hope at this point while they're still building the case against him and they need to get the palm print because... You know, nothing is actually tying him to the evidence in the woods. So they need to be able to get his palm print. They need to get his DNA to match against the evidence that they collected before. But how do they get him in? So he had an outstanding warrant for breaking parole. So now this gives them the end. They can go pick him up and then use what they need to to tie him to the physical evidence. So when they get there, his house, he's not home. Uh, Of course. So he's bird watching. Right. Yeah. He's very passionate about that. Yeah. He's probably (laughs) stuck under his tire again. Yeah, because you can find a lot of birds under your car. <laughs> um, so when they show up and he's not home, the deputies kind of like form a perimeter around his property and they're like, they're securing it. And as they're doing that, there's a police officer that has a van that's trying to come up towards the property. And so he stops the van and who's driving? But Dickie himself. And, oh, Dickie. you know, they phone in to the officer the officer comes down and he arrests him and she's trying to like build rapport so he's being discreet and he's you know being kind of like not trying to overdo the arrest so that at least this guy maybe feels a little bit of trust in him i don't know it eventually paid off um these he was arrested and brought in for a lineup and the two girls the two friends had to come in and identify him and they did immediately even though like i mentioned his facial hair had changed I can't remember if he had the beard or didn't have it, but they they recognized him immediately without a doubt. So he was questioned about the kidnapping, even though he was there for an arrest on a completely different charge. He was questioned about the kidnapping, and he denied any involvement at that point. But they had taken the palm print from him while he was in custody, and now they could compare it to the one taken off of Polly's bedpost, and of course, it's a match. So now that it's confirmed... The news goes public, but Dicko, being held in isolation, he somehow didn't know this was a thing. He didn't know that the news had it out there that he was the abductor of Polly Kloss. So he didn't know it was a thing until his friend, he had a friend that came to visit him, because I guess they hadn't maybe put the charges on him yet because they probably still had to build the case strong enough before they could do that. I don't know. But he hadn't been charged. So he has a friend that comes to visit, and the friend's like, dude, you have to talk about Polly. And he's like, why? I don't do anything. And he's like, there's a palm print. They've tied, they've already tied you to this. You have to talk. You have to no, tell them where deny. this girl is. Deny, 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 deny. Yeah. Well, thankfully he did not. He thought about it for a little bit and then he ended up calling the lead investigator and was like, all right, I want to talk. So here's his story. Apparently he was at a halfway house because I mentioned he had just recently been released from prison again. And he was issued permission to visit his mom in Petaluma. Petaluma? Petaloma? I can never pronounce it right. Um, but he couldn't find her house. So when he couldn't find her he house... He can't find very much. No. Like his brain, even? Well, I mean, he likes to just wander... Well, no, what would he do? Sightseeing. Sightseeing, yes. Yeah. Sightseeing and wandering around this neighborhood. Which is a little confusing because he did have a car, so, but he was on foot wandering. So that part's a little bit confusing to me. Did but, he have a map quest? 
<laughs> yes, back in 93, I'm pretty sure he had MapQuest. Freaking MapQuest. Um, but he, he was, while he was wandering, he was drinking and smoking pot, so mm. he admits he was eventually, or he admits that he was, quote-unquote, really buzzed. Nice. And just wandering Polly's neighborhood aimlessly. But he, the hard part that they had, you know, that the thing that he had a hard time explaining was that they have evidence that he came prepared because those pieces of fabric, they were pre-cut in his car. I'm telling you, he had to, he, he, you don't just take a stab in the dark hoping there's kids in a house. Like, he knew. Yeah. I don't know if he saw them through a window or what, but. Yeah. And apparently, I don't know if they found the tape. I couldn't tell because this was a little bit fuzzy but I think there may have been tape that was found in the woods and the tape and the bindings like all of that came from stuff that was Mm pre-cut so it implies intent Mm -hmm. and he says that he just randomly picked a house and crawled in through an open window but we know that he was pulling on the back door like we know he was hanging around because those kids saw him looming when they walked by and then when they walked back from the video store so thankfully he didn't jump for them i mean they were there they were easy prey but he wanted to be in that house so he says that when he opens the window he hears voices and he grabs a knife like on his way back to the room and then like blacks out after that and the next thing he remembers is he's driving around in the car and he looks over and there's a young girl oh, sitting next to him the front door yeah so, he claims he was surprised to see her, <laughs> but... Weed does not do this. Weed does no. not do this, people. I'm sorry. No, but if he was drunk enough, he could have blacked out. Sure. You know what I mean? When I, you know, when I black out, I don't ever black out. Yeah. I'm so... <laughs> the biggest lightweight ever. I <laughs> one drink and I'm like, and I'm good. <laughs> um, so, correct me if I'm wrong. If you black out, don't you pass out? Or do no. people still... No? Yeah, you can function yeah. and I just right. not remember. But, I got nothing. I got nothing. So, clearly... My, my point to saying that is that when the police officers found him with a stuck car, he was hammered. Right? Oh, yeah. When he I got mean, his car back stuck. Back functioning. Yeah, 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 yeah. He passes the field sobriety test, but they didn't freaking take him in. You could smell the alcohol in his breath. He, he blacked out enough. But, mm, whatever. <clears throat> so frustrating. I mean, there's a possibility she could still be alive if they had just freaking taken him in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And he's surprised to see her and... He just kind of, at this point, he's like, well, shit, what do I do now? And he starts driving around and, like, wondering, what happened? What did I do? What do I do next? And especially, I mean, with his criminal record, you have to think, like, well, shit, I'm going to go back to jail. I can't, Mm -hmm. what do I do with this girl? I can't just drop her back off. So I'm sure with what little brain cells he had, he realized that he could do the the hard time, and he kind of had to just figure something out. So that's when he gets his car stuck, according to him. The police believe that this part of the story is wrong but well, yeah, he claims she'd be in the car well okay so he he claims that this is when the car gets stuck and then he realized when he realized that the car wouldn't move he realized like well okay i have this girl who's now missing so he he gets her out of the car he picks her up and he carries her over the hill about 30 mi- 30 yards where all the evidence is found where all the like the strips and stuff are found and he kind of leaves her there and he he claims he planned to leave her until he could free the car, alive. But I'm yeah, that's what he claims. Uh, okay, but she stayed there. That's what I'm saying. I mean, think about how long he was talking to the police for forty five minutes. No, yeah, or screamed or something. Something. I mean, I'm sure she could have been had tape over her mouth or whatever. But there's no way she just sat there. No, they would have heard for forty five minutes to an hour. Or no. Like that. So, the rest of the story, I guess, matched the witness accounts, but the bolo about Polly, I think I mentioned that it didn't go over the radios. I'm not going to add that in because I already said that. He claims that once the deputies pulled his car out, he waited about 15 minutes before going back to get Polly. And then, so we're talking 45 minutes with the cops, 15 minutes before he goes to get, it's just not adding up, right? Mm -hmm. So... uh, After that, he says he drove around trying to find, trying to figure out what to do with her. And I guess he decided at some point he would kill her. And then he left her body in a deserted field in Cloverdale, which was, um, I can't remember, 30 or 40 minutes outside of um, outside of there. Because at this point, after he's talking and admitting all of this, detective, detectives are eager for answers. And they, they headed out right that night. They got him in a car. They brought him to where he said he left the body. And in the dark, they walked up and... And confirmed his story and 
instead of waiting until daybreak, they just figured this was a, it was just too important. They had to go out immediately in the dark and, and find Polly. So they found her body in a field under some boards, and he had strangled her with a knotted rope. Now, during the case, or during the court case, they allude to the fact that he attempted lewd acts on a young child. Mm-hmm. He claims through this entire thing, and still to this day, that that never happened. But she was found with her nightgown up to her, like pulled up underneath her armpits. And I think she ha- also had, because remember the girls were playing dress up, so who knows what, maybe they were like changing underneath their clothes. You know how girls kind of yeah. get like awkward and they're whatever. So she had a skirt and a shirt and like the skirt was pulled up um, to her chest, which, you know, even if there was a struggle, because I'm sure she struggled while he was strangling her, you would be pushing backwards away mm-hmm. from him, not pushing down. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it would have pulled her skirt up, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not a, not to that Unless extent. he was dragging her? Yeah. Potentially? Still, I don't so know. So there was no um, indication of rape itself? She was just too decomposed at that point. Ah, okay. Yeah, they couldn't do anything to confirm that. Because too, right? Yeah, but there was no DNA in it. Uh, so it seems that that was just a, I don't, who knows what happened. Maybe, you know, think about, okay. The babysitter goes by, sees him. She drives on, calls Dana. Dana comes down the driveway immediately after and doesn't see him. So maybe he's off there. Here's another car coming. Freaks out a little bit. He's trying to think, oh, I'm going to rape her. Rips but open the condom. Get chance, yeah. Doesn't get a chance to. Goes back to the car. Tries to get it out, whatever. And the police show up. And then he never gets his opportunity. So maybe he waits until she's dead. Maybe he brings her to this field, rapes her, kills her, whatever. But he claims it never happened. And because there's no physical evidence at this point, two months later... There was just nothing if at all. She was too deteriorated at that point. So, Jeez. yeah. So, <sighs> oh, and and I know they don't really go into a whole lot of the detail about how her body was found on the FBI episode. Ashley Flowers on her episode precedent um, alludes to the positioning of. Polly's lower body and kind of indicates that she wasn't just thrown down on the ground when she laid there like it would have been an unnatural way for her lower body to have landed the way that it was positioned if you get what I'm saying so it was more likely I think that that's how they that was their evidence towards and he was convicted of that part of it the lewd act on a child so he tries to paint this picture that the crime was like this random unplanned thing and a kind of like a crime of opportunity but there were just several things that could discredit it, right? The the pieces of fabric, that he was seen by multiple people lurking around her house, and mm. he's a repeat offender yeah. of kidnapping. So the conclusion of this case, it goes to trial two and a half years later, after about 10 weeks, 10 weeks in the court, I can't even imagine, he's found guilty on 10 counts with kidnapping, burglary, robbery, murder, and as I mentioned, the attempt to commit a lewd act on a child. Although he is still adamantly denying that last one. Authorities believe that the, that regardless of his story, that she was already dead when they got to him and his car was stuck, which would make sense because, I mean, like we said, she would have tried to get up and get away. Yeah. There would have been some rustling in the, in the yeah. leaves or something like that, yeah. I mean, because the cause of death was strangling, not blunt force trauma, so it's not like he could have knocked her out unconscious. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's awful either way. Um... But he was sentenced to death, and thank God. And when they read his sentence, there was no, like, sometimes you'll see these criminals kind of show a little bit of remorse or apologize to the families. That wasn't him. He actually turned to the TV cameras. He flipped them off, winked, and blew a kiss. Nice guy. Real nice. So his happy little ass is sitting on death row to this day in San Quentin State Prison. Nope, unfortunately. And that was back in 96. I mean... That's my question. How long do these people have to sit on death row before we kill them? Why does it take so long? A lot of these, unfortunate, and I'm not saying that he's innocent, but a lot of sometimes these people are so damn innocent when DNA is right. coming out. And so, but you're a piece of shit, and uh, I, you have to be probably in solitary because, like I said, I prison hope. doesn't take kindly to pedophiles. That was another thing. I'm like, why hasn't he been? <laughs> I'm sure. That was another thought I had. I'm sure he's in solitary. Yeah, actually, my notes say. Often these kind of a-holes are handled in prison. Like, quote-unquote. Yeah. Why is he As still alive? I mean... Because death row... I don't know. I'm not, I've never been on death row. Do they have them in, like, their own little rooms on death row? Once I have you hit no death row? idea. That's a very good question. I have no idea how um, that whole thing works. 
gosh. But I mean, I get it. We don't, obviously, we because we have to allow them the time to appeal and all this bullshit. But, I mean, DNA linked this guy. To yeah, there's like without a shadow of a doubt before the DNA even linked him. He even confessed. Yeah. He did it. The whole thing. Could even lead them to her body. Like, there is, there yeah. should be a fast track on him. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm that there was a tax dollars on him. Yeah, exactly. So, Polly's case made strides in changing how missing persons cases are handled going forward. Law enforcement agencies are kind of like linked to different agencies providing vital information in multiple jurisdictions. Um, you know, there's like APHIS and CODIS where they've got DNA and fingerprints and it's, it's shared information across all of the jurisdictions instead of just like this is in ours and this is in yours and we don't share anything and that makes zero sense because criminals can travel well, outside of it. it. Yeah. So. Egos. Too. Yeah. Yeah, and just luckily, it. I mean, it, it does. It never really made sense the way that no. they had it built like that. But maybe, I mean, think about it. The internet was still new, so maybe there just wasn't the ability back then. And now that the internet was starting to get bigger at this point, then maybe they have more capabilities to share that kind of information. So, missing persons bulletins are now sent over all police channels, and just instead of just one, like they did with Polly's, because had it been sent over all of them, then the, the officers that had stopped him would have been able to figure out yeah, that maybe we should take him a bigger, better look at this guy. And criminal records can now be accessed uh, at all routine pullovers and traffic stops, in addition to driving records. So not just the driving records, you can see what kind of a crook this guy is. And then they implemented the three strikes rule, which we'll get into a little bit in a second, um, just to close this up. They did start a foundation in Polly's name that now is in the search for missing children. It's still active today. And the partnership of the police and the FBI in this case just kind of cemented their relationship as a result. And it continues to this day. So I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that Polly's case influenced the three strikes rule that we mentioned back in the Stephen Stainer case. And... It wasn't actually her case that created the outline for the rule. It was another girl, I think her name was Ember, who was tragically um, killed by two previously convicted violent offenders. It's another senseless thing, which I don't, that's what I don't understand. Like when, when Parnell um, from Steven Stainer's case, same thing. I mean, he served five years of a seven-year sentence for abducting, abducting a child and keeping him, holding him captive for tw- seven years. And then, you know, he wasn't even tried for the physical abuse. It doesn't make sense to me that oh, these people like, even get out. Like, yeah. why? Or you so. would get, like, life in prison for embezzlement. Right. Or wire fraud or some shit. Not that I'm saying that's right. But, yeah, I mean, anything to this like, you should never see the light of day again. Right. Period. The end. Done. Yes. So, Polly's dad kind of, like, gets on board with this law that is kind of waiting. I think it had to pass through the Senate first, and so then it finally did, like, five months after Polly's disappearance. And then, by the end of the year, it was a law in California. And he was a big supporter of it. The law basically states that anyone who's convicted of a felony and commits a second felony... Um, or commits a misdemeanor that'll be bumped up to a felony, they will get a sentence that's double the typical sentence for that crime. So the third felony would automatically be 25 to life. So no caveats. Um, <laughs> there are so many holes in this situation, though, because to your point, like there are people who are out there for lesser sentences that may have been, may have got a little bit in their record, but because of it just escalates their crimes and all that so the um after the law was enacted in california 24 other states kind of jumped on board and they adopted it too although their guidelines were a little bit more more lenient towards less like nonviolent crimes but california was like very black and white it was like you're either gonna do it or you're not gonna do it we're not gonna have any differentiation here and like for instance in california the original state that takes on these three this three strikes rule they didn't limit to violent crimes. So, no surprise, but this heavily impacts the population of the California state prisons after the new law takes place. Within the first decade, 7,500 people were now sentenced to life because of this new law. 7,500 new people. And half of those new felony convictions were for nonviolent crimes. Oh, shit. Like, for instance, and this was mentioned on the, um, the precedent episode by Ashley Flowers, that there were people who had minor crimes like stealing a can of beer or stealing a slice of pizza, but because they had previous convictions, that was then bumped up to a felony, and now they're serving 25 to life. 
Mm. over a stolen slice of pizza. So, I mean, it needs to change for sure. Just, they just need to make a few adjustments, you know, that they need to be like major, which is crazy. I feel like they're so progressive. It's, it's really shocking to me to see that this is so loosey goosey, you know what I mean? It just feels like, there's no rhyme or reason to that. Yeah. It feels like they just kind of got lazy and said, we don't really want to specify anything. So let's just across the board. This is how we're going to do it. That's overpopulating Uh huh. Totally. Major, major problem there. According to California Policy Lab, which I link this in our show notes, it's like a, I want to say like a 45-page document or something. It's really long, but nearly 65 of the admissions to prison with a double sentence. Remember, I mentioned the second offense gets a double sentence. Are nonviolent, non-serious offense. 65 of them are nonviolent offenses. That's over half, and. It's a little unclear that the status of the law is where it stands right now and what the provisions are, honestly, because that white paper that I just mentioned was written by California Lab Policy, California Policy Lab, was dated just two months before another article that I read that featured Polly's sisters, um, Jess and Annie, and they are currently, like this was October 2022, so what, a few months ago, Mm. and they're still advocating for the reform of the law. So that it is not because they they realize they're like our our sister's face is all over this and it's tied back to this law and it just punishes all these nonviolent offenders and that was never what the goal was with that so they are what's the championing they're championing these this reform of the law finally but to my understanding it still hasn't been changed although that white paper that I just mentioned makes it seem like there are changes so I don't know if you can make any sense of it but it is in the show notes if you have any interest in kind of combing through that I'll read all 45 pages yeah good luck with that (laughs) you let let us know you can report back (laughs) but in the article I mentioned written in the Guardian Annie the younger sister says a lot of people see this history as something that is separate from themselves but in our case it we are really we have a really deep connection to the crisis Annie who was 35 at that point says it's just an injustice that the sum of Polly's life was turned into this harm for others. The story that was told about Polly was used to pass these incredibly terrible laws and it always felt like a distortion of the truth. In this case, as with many cases, their pain was exploited for a good story. Annie was actually invited to the White House five months after Polly's disappearance to meet, to meet with Bill Clinton, president at the time. So I don't I'm, maybe they thought they were doing a nice thing. I don't know, but it had to feel so icky. I think she was like Seven? Well, and it's Clinton. Or nine? I mean, she was young. Pot, and so, meat, kettle, Clinton. <laughs> so she recalls just kind of like it was this icky feeling. The president. It's Clinton. She she asked him a question during their little interview, saying, "Do you think I'll ever grow up? Do I, Do you think I'll ever live to grow up?" Was he like, "I hope not." <laughs> it's terrible. I hope, I hope you stay. <laughs> nah, he didn't. I don't think Clinton was a pedophile, but he's just a womanizer. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. But politicians. Yeah. So. His reply to that was, you're a brave girl. I mean, imagine this conversation. This little girl says, do you think I'll ever live to grow up? And he's like, you're a brave girl. So later, and in this article, she admits that that memory, that specific conversation really haunts her because she was actually given that question by someone. Somebody told her to ask that. What the actual hell is wrong with the grown-up that told her to ask that question? Nothing surprises me anymore. I believe it's to the fifth degree. I mean, five months is not a long time. That must have been like a blink of an eye for this girl who just lost her sister. I mean, five months after the disappearance, three months after finding out she's killed. That's so short. And then they, they exploit her like this for a good story. Whatever. You know, there's a lot of things about this law that I really hate. And I'm so glad that they're, they have found the cause and that they are going to advocate for change in this law because... The other thing that bothers me about it too, like I, I'm so glad they have something in place where there is three strikes that you can't, you know, you're going to end up serving life for really violent crimes. Like, great. I'm glad that that precedent is set. But three people have to be violently. Nah, uh-uh. It's school. If our kids get in trouble at school, it's the, what is it? The, um, what do they call it? The, there's no, no tolerance. Zero tolerance. Zero tolerance. Yeah. That is how it should be if you are convicted. I'm right. not saying accused. If you are convicted and found guilty. Right. That's it. You're done. You yeah. can't do this again. Well, and especially for certain crimes, like we've said before, it just doesn't, it does not add up to me how we got to this point where it's like, okay, yeah, you had a really nonviolent or you had a really violent offense 
why don't you serve a little bit of time, then you can get out and try it again. No, you cannot. And then come back, and we'll make you serve a little bit more time, and then we'll let you out, see if you do it again, and then maybe we'll give you a very serious sentence. It's just crazy to me that we even allow them the time to hurt other people in that time. She gets 40 to life. Yeah, it's nuts though. And I'm not saying that those people shouldn't serve time. Right, but yeah. this is dumb. This And even in that document I was mentioning by California Policy Lab, they talk about how part of the reform of this law was stating that the people who were convicted to the 25 to life on their third offense that were nonviolent criminals could be relocated to more of a, or maybe going forward would be in more of a state... Um, Oh, I can't remember. So not like a not, not a violent prison, like what do you call it? Local like local jails maybe instead of yeah. the violent prisons. Yeah, cause is it a state penitentiary that's more for the? I don't know. I think I can't honestly remember, but basically they wouldn't be lumped in with these violent criminals anymore, which I think is a good thing because I mean their safety too. I mean, you think somebody somebody who's committing extortion isn't going to be violent or be able to well, stand up to these people? Hear me out. Hear me out on why I think that <laughs> they should be in the same. How are the pedophiles going to be taken care of if the nonviolent people aren't there with them? Well, what do you mean? Because, well, if you've got pedophiles with pedophiles, they're not going to kill each other. We need, the, we need the armed robbers to kill the pedophiles. Well, that's true. But I guess I'm thinking more like, <laughs> like extortion, like the Martha Stewart. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, like they're not going to have anything to do with that. nice in prison. Oh. Right? Yeah. But those kind of people, I don't feel like they should be in with no, the violent I offenders. Agree. You know I what agree. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Money laundering, sure. Robot offense. Also, probably not of not shouldn't be mixed in, with, yeah. mixed in with the violent criminals. So anyway, this is the this is how Polyclaus's case influenced the three three strikes rule, which seems to be ever evolving and definitely needs some change if it hasn't been changed already um, since October of last year when the Guardian wrote their article. But it seems that hopefully there are some wheels in motion to get that changed. And unfortunately, Polyclaus had to be. It sucks because you look at it and, and these laws change because of someone else's unfortunate yeah. situation. So um, at least at least her death was able to serve for, for good for some part of it. At least the violent offenders are going to be charged worse sentences now. I don't know. I don't know. Still still to me a little wonky. No but, one wins. You know, yeah, no yeah one it's wins. really still not the best situation. I get where they were going with it, but to me it, it needs work. But... Anyway. Castration. Yeah. That's there. that there you go. Tammy's Island. Come on. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my story for today. And we got another one good one coming for you next week. And if you are on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, make sure you're following Moms Who Talk Crime. Email us at moms who talk crime at gmail.com. Tell us that you love us. Give us an, a suggestion for a story. And don't forget to leave a rating and review where you listen because it really helps other listeners um, find our podcast and get us a little bit more exposure because we really like what we do and we want to be able to keep doing it. Yes, we do. Yes. So if you don't mind, that would be great. <laughs> Please anyway. and thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.